Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI and the Future of Work. Thanks again for making this one of the most downloaded podcasts about the future of work. If you enjoy what we do, please like, comment, and share in your favorite podcast app. And we'll keep sharing great conversations like the one we have for today. I'm your host, Dan Turchin, CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. I'm also an investor in and advisor to more than 30 AI-first startups, and as you know, a firm believer in the power of technology to make humans better. If you're passionate about changing the world with AI, or maybe just looking for your next adventure, let's talk. Now, we learn each week from AI thought leaders on this show, and of course, the added bonus is you get one AI fun fact. Today's fun fact. Cynical AI ethicists are concerned that the task of applying ethical principles to AI is a losing proposition because AI will evolve to outsmart those attempting to constrain it. For example, AI will learn that it makes more accurate decisions using bias data because it's more consistent. For example, potentially approving fewer loans for females and underrepresented minorities than white males who, according to available data, have lower default rates. Jack Clark, co-founder of the AI Safety Research Lab Anthropic and former policy director at OpenAI, is one of those concerned about the AI ethics arms race. Those developing AGI or artificial general intelligence have different objectives than those attempting to restrict what AI can do. Jack's a vocal advocate for aligning AI innovation with AI regulation that will hopefully lead to the integration of ethics into the very fabric of AI product development. We're in the earliest phases of this dialogue. It's one that will certainly define who we are and who we'll become as a species. I'll link to the full article in Vox that frames the debate in the show notes. Jack Clark, if you're listening, uh, join us on the podcast. It's a fascinating topic. Now, shifting to this week's conversation, we had a great discussion recently with Synesis One co-founder Paul Lee about crowdsourcing the development of LLMs or large language models using games in the metaverse where players complete puzzles to stake tokens on the Solana blockchain. It was really our, our foray after more than 150 episodes into the metaverse and Web3 and kind of where those intersect with AI and NLP. Well, today we're going to go deeper into the rabbit hole, but this time from the investor side. Hina Dixit spent nearly eight years in engineering at Apple before joining Samsung Next, Samsung's corporate venture fund, as an investor. While at Apple, Hina led teams focused on everything from security to iCloud to developer tools, and she holds many patents from her time there. Hina has since been focused on investments in AI, AR, infrastructure, Web3, and the metaverse. Today, we'll get educated about what's investable in this climate and where there's still opportunities for disruption. Without further ado, Hina, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Let's get started by uh, having you share a little bit more about your background and how you got into this space. Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for the kind invitation. And it's a pleasure being on this platform today. Um, so hello, everyone. I'm Hina Dixit. 
and I currently head AI investments at Samsung Next. I'm also focused on some aspects of Web3 and Metaverse investments as well. Um, Samsung Next is private equity and venture capital arm of Samsung. Uh, we have invested in some of the very cool companies around in the Metaverse focus area and AI focus area recently, which include the Yuga Labs, Alchemy, Axie Infinity, Nifty, and there are 120 companies in our portfolio right now around. In the AI side, I recently closed three investments in companies which are still in stealth mode. So I'm not at the liberty of sharing their names, but they're doing something amazing in this space. Uh, before Samsung Next, as Dan mentioned, I was at Apple and I led several projects there, which focused on Xcode, security, accounts, iCloud. And I was DRI for like a lot of cool features, like for example, two-factor authentication when it was first launched in 2015, I guess. Uh, apart from like, you know, investing recently, um, my let's let's go back to my background a little bit. I have a passion for learning and mentoring people. And I'm a person who has always wanted to do something challenging in life. When Samsung Next reached out to me, I was very unsure if I should join. So I asked my mentor, Satya Patel from Homebrew to help me make this decision. And uh, I sent him like, you know, a list of questions about the venture capital world, career prospects in this space, because I was a person who was just like coming from a builder's background. I didn't know anything about finance. I didn't know anything about venture at all. So he was very kind and he sent back all these answers to me. And he was very gracious and he helped me out and he helped me make this decision. And so far, like this journey has been amazing working with amazing founders so far and this team is amazing like you know I have learned so much in last six months um, that I, I couldn't have learned in last like you know decade of my career. I want to understand a little bit more about your journey. We've had some amazing female leaders on this show talk about you know how maybe they were raised outside of the United States and they've gone on to achieve amazing things and you know we, we've learned so much from you know the inspiration that we can derive from the fact that they never saw a glass ceiling, and uh, you know, t tell us about when you maybe when you were growing up, you know, um, were you expected to become an engineer and then a venture capitalist, and if not, you know, what what made you believe that you could uh, you know achieve anything? Not really. Uh, so I come from a very humble background. My dad, um, he is a clerk in a government job in India. And we grew up like I grew up in a very small town of India. It's called Kanpur. And I think lot, not a lot of people would even know this name. But at the same time, my parents made sure like I had the best of resources when it came to education. They made sure like I went to good schools. They made sure like I had all the resources. Like my dad bought me my first computer when I was in first year of my undergrad and not everybody around me had that liberty so I I don't think anybody imagined that I would come to the spot but they kind of like everybody sense that okay this person wants to do something out of like you know out of the normal so let's support her and that support like led me to continue with my journey and come all the way here obviously there have been like a lot of hardships in my life um you know uh, I, I didn't have enough resources when I was doing my master's I had to take a loan I had to take a loan for my undergrad as well and like you know even to like you know get some pocket money I had to work 
through multiple jobs and i had to make like you know even buying a starbucks coffee was a big deal for me when i first moved to you know states and saving every penny so coming from that kind of background i i kind of like empathize with people who who have been struggling and who who have their like you know who have had their own fair share of struggles and that's why like i'm so passionate about helping people and mentoring them and grooming them so every time i get an opportunity to groom like you know somebody out there i i have invested hours in doing that i have like helped people learn how to code from scratch i have learned uh, i have like learned over time like you know how to help people to kind of like you know help them out with any like career uh, problems that they are hitting in their journey so coming from like a humble background like it it makes me humble and that gives me like i don't know like a personality that helps me connect with other people very easily uh, because i i tend to have that empathy for people hey you know i'm going to make sure my two daughters listen to this they're 12 and 14 and one of the things i'd love uh, to hear from you is any examples of where you encountered some adversity someone told you you know hina you can't do that you're you know you're you're female you're you're to this you're to that you know you're from the wrong country you don't have the right upbringing and how have you addressed you know the 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 quote can'ts when you've been told you can't do something yeah and actually this is very true dan um i i have faced a lot of like you know uh, such biases against me uh, once i started dating like men from india and uh, it's it's a different like you know it's a different uh, environment completely in which they are brought up and uh, their thought process is that as a woman uh, you're not supposed to take control of your finances they forget that i'm a 30 year old who has made it on her own who owns like you know several real estate properties who has done some investments on her own like being an angel investor uh, i i did face a lot of bias like people like men would call me that you are you know very ambitious you're too ambitious to be a wife and i i would get dumped and i have been dumped like for a lot lot of times like for this reason and luckily like i'm married to one of the most amazing uh, human beings ever and um, he's from india as well but he's such a feminist like you know and that made us work very coherently through our life problems and he's so supportive so i'm i'm glad that i waited to meet the right person and i didn't jump on to or give up on my ambition just when like you know i i was about to like you know get married to somebody else like i i didn't move forward with that i waited to you know meet the right person who would support my ambition who would support my career choices who would give me liberty to like control my own finances and make my own decision because that's how my parents brought me up they brought me up as a very independent person i remember like there is this very like influence uh, influential incident uh, uh, between me and my dad that happened when i was uh, in undergrad and i remember him giving me like you know around uh, 1000 uh, as like you know pocket money uh, initially for the first year and uh, i he came back to see me like you know in 3 months or so and he asked me hey like you know uh, do you need any money and i told yeah i need money because like i kind of like have 
like you know spent all of the thousand dollars that you gave to me because i had to buy books and then he was uh, then he was like oh okay i will give you more money and i like made all the accounts like uh, for every um, spend that i did i i made like a list of spend that i did and uh, i showed it to him and i said hey like you know you can take a look like you know i i really spend the money here and here and he was like you never give me account for the money that has given to you i trust your choices and you should trust your choices as well so if you're asking me money i'm going to give it to you but you have to be the decision maker like to decide whether your spent was wise or not so and then he just left like you know he gave me money and that like left a deep like impression on me i became very very um, you know careful about spending the money i became very wise suddenly because all the pressure of decision making was left on my shoulder instead of him telling me hey that is not the right way to invest or, or, or that is not the right you know thing to spend money on so i, I just like became my own person that day and that was like a such a small move from my dad but it influenced my entire life and i've been very independent thankfully to my father you know you accomplished so much as an engineering leader at apple and then you relatively recently switched over to being an investor what has surprised you most about moving from being an operator to being an investor um so when i started my journey um, as an engineer at apple my thought process was very bottom up like i would think about a problem but i would not think about the business aspect of it i i was a builder at apple even though i led teams there the problem solving was the key foundation to my thought process and after moving to samsung next i had to take like a top down approach in thinking about business problem i had to think about the consumer pain point i had to think about like you know the problem space very well right and then i had to learn about existing consumer pain points in areas which were far away from my expertise as well and i think it is a great thing because it pushed me out of my comfort zone and i was too comfortable like after 8 years at apple i i knew my way around the organizations and i kind of like led some amazing projects and uh, you know nothing would scare me like even when i was in meetings uh, with craig i i would like you know express my opinion very like you know easily and comfortably because i i became very like you know comfortable in that ecosystem but when i had to move out i had to meet, meet new people and i started like initially i started doubting my thought process a lot and i had to change and realign my entire thought process in last 6 months to assess the startups from business point of view and not only like you know assess them from technical point of view but also from the business point of view and in this journey i had to learn a lot i am an introvert and my role requires me to like you know be a strong you know relationship partner and partner with founder like the founding community right like the founders community is what we serve for right and to my surprise there were so many people who were very warm to me and they were willing to help me out and mentor me we always tend to paint a picture of vcs as ruthless and money minded and like you know uh, you know somebody who who are not trustworthy but that is not true uh, the thing that surprised me is like throughout my journey like as i was growing from a builder to like you know an enabler of these builders i i saw so many mentors jumping in who were vcs and they were so kind they were so amazingly like you know 
humble they would help you out in your thought process especially like the team at uh, samsung next like you know my mentor raymond liao he's amazing and i do not agree at all with that picture anymore and i have seen like their point of view the way they think now it makes sense they, they can be very critical of the founders but at the same time you need to understand that they are trying to help you out so i i have begin to value uh vcs who are very critical like who would give you a critical opinion and help you think in the right direction so uh, to my surprise like honestly the vc world is very kind actually like uh, to me at least like um, it, that that was very surprising to me you mentioned that you made a few ai investments recently and i know you can't disclose them but would love our audience to learn you're talking to a lot of uh entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs uh, what was it that blew you away about the, the these pitches that you funded yeah so i think each of the investment that i have made is in a very like you know is is solving a specific pain point and all of these pain points are very varied from each other even though they are all in the ai space but each of the company solves a very specific pain point um one company like which is still in stealth but i can tell you about they are focused on privacy and responsible ai the other company like you know that i have funded is in semi supervised learning and the third one is in document uh, engineering and knowledge management so these three companies like all of these uh, have done like amazing work um, every time when like i talk to you know a startup or a founder uh, it's it's always uh, kind of like boils down to the team the pain point as well as the combination of like you know uh, you know the business proposition and product market fit actually so all these three teams uh, they were amazing like you know the founders come from amazing background moreover they are focused on solving a very valid consumer pain point so that's why like you know it just it always boils down to like you know if you're solving a valid consumer pain point i guess for me so many cynics out there would say uh you know they're watching the price of crypto drop and feeling like uh web3 was overhyped and they're writing it off before it, it, you know the infrastructure has even really been deployed yeah. um as innovators i think we have a different opinion and certainly as an investor you know you're pretty enthusiastic about the future pitch us on the future of not just the metaverse but web3 and you know where we are in terms of the innovation cycle in terms of ai i i would like to you know tell you a little bit about like uh, from the ai perspective so uh, i think we we are doing some amazing things when it comes to web3 and metaverse uh, in in the space of ai and data uh, one of the companies that we recently invested in is space and time um, you know which is focused on data warehouse for you know uh, web3 and uh, i i really like that team as well uh, they have done some amazing amazing work and i'm i'm an investor in that company too uh, i i feel like there is still a space um a problem space where like you know companies which have an intersection between ai and web3 still need to like you know come up and there is a lot of like there are a lot of pain points in web3 that ai could solve for example how would you even approach ml pipelines when the data is decentralized right or how would you put like uh, an ml uh, model into production when 
like you know for particular uh, dabs right like how would you like embed ml into these dabs so there is that gray area where like you know companies can come in and they can solve this viable solution as well i i feel like metaverse and web3 like they are here but from the ai perspective i think uh, i i'm i have started seeing some of the very cool companies there's one another company called zolta labs um which are focused on the testing and production and like you know deployment aspect of you know uh, of web3 and uh, i i think that is a very crucial piece as well for web3 uh, for dapps that uh, how would you even like you know test these smart contracts how would you even audit these smart contracts right like so there are a lot of like good intersection of ai which can be there with web3 which are unexplored yet, as of now there was a time when web2 was call it decentralized i mean the, 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 a lot of the principles of web2 were based on open standards and cynics would say web3 will rapidly be uh, or I say authority over web3 whether it's smart contracts or other kind of dapps will be consolidated by the big 5 in tech one of which is your former employer <laughs> yeah. uh, what will be different this time around how do we prevent the owners of the data the, you know the, the the owners of the infrastructure from essentially uh, centralizing a decentralized uh, you know concept like web3 um yeah that's a very good question actually on the contrary like i feel uh, when it comes to like you know the big five tech vendors um we always see them as trend setters but i don't think like we need to see them as trend setters all they think is they think about a consumer pain point and then they think about a solution to solve that consumer pain point and see if that's like you know that has a great you know business value proposition or not right and that's why like we shouldn't rely on the big five tech vendors to take over like and build this web3 infrastructure for us and they, that's why like when i say that okay there are a lot of like spaces which are still un fulfilled and there there is a gap like you know there's the space of like testing deployment and production of dapps which is unexplored um I, i don't know like if apple or google or facebook or microsoft or amazon is working on that but it is a valid pain point and uh, i i don't think like they are ready to solve that yet right it's much easier for the startup community to build products for web3 because the iterations are much more quicker uh they can like you know uh, they can get like all the resources and they can like you know vcs are really like pouring in money on web3 right now so it won't be a problem for them to like you know raise a fund if the problem and the solution makes sense so they should go all in like i i think there is a there is a space and opportunity for everybody to jump in and make a change for web3 i i don't think web3 is going to be a domain owned by big five tech vendors and i think that was the entire point of like moving to web3 that you want to decentralize everything entrepreneurs out there play that one back david can in fact slay goliath you heard it from hina so hina we talk a lot about the ethics of ai on yeah. this podcast and i'd love to get your perspective maybe based on the companies you evaluate or some investments you've recently made to what extent does the ethical or the responsible use of ai play a role in how you evaluate new technologies 
I think it is very important. I think one of my first investment was uh, in privacy preserving, uh, you know, space for uh, AI, right? So I, I cannot name them, but uh, they're still in stealth. Uh, but at the same time, I think coming from Apple, like I valued privacy a lot. And that's why like, you know, but responsible AI is not only about like, you know, privacy. It's also about fairness it's also about transparency inclusiveness you know it should be trustworthy reliable and safe there has to be you know security as well embedded in any of the like you know ai models as well so that's why like i i think it's a very very important space to us as samsung and at the same time like uh, i i kind of like see responsible ai not only like you know focused on these four or five principles but also like you know in a way that how does it impact your customers and society when you are trying to like you know train your models it is very important that you use some sort of like federated learning or split neural network some sort of technique that will enable you to like you know train your model without collecting like you know or without like collecting third-party data right or the third party companies can like you know help you train your models using like you know some sort of federated learning technique without like exposing their you know private data to these companies which want to train their ai models so i think like privacy is one of the very key problem that there is and there has been like a lot of distrust among um, consumers so this is one of the very important and i think prevalent uh, pain point that needs to be solved right away and that's why like uh, that is the first step and the second step would be fairness and you know tackling the bias i see some of the very great companies originating in this space which include themis ai there is galileo there is like credo ai which is like navrina's company and uh, i know navrina and she's doing some amazing work as well uh, these companies these are focused on responsible ai to kind of like not only like help you auditing your uh, ai models but they also help you in understanding your data better i think fairness comes when you understand the distribution of your data very well and when you start understanding like okay these are some of the like you know data points which we are not covering or here is why like you know my model isn't working right and identifying like you know uh, uh, you know black or african american people as apes which was uh, one of the google's uh, photos problem right because their labeling and their data had biases and that was very very offensive like to me as a person of color myself that how can they even miss out on it but hey like we learn through our mistakes and now like with more companies focused on responsible ai i, I think like we we can build a future where ai becomes more trustworthy by handling these like biases and mostly like i think it is very very important to minimize like these bias by constantly like monitoring for these outliers you there are several like you know techniques available for that and these platforms which are coming through they are doing some amazing work so do explore them for sure i will add to your list tina of great companies doing good work in responsible ai we had uh krishna gaday who's the ceo of fiddler an explainability platform on the podcast uh, we had Bar Moses, who's the CEO of Monte Carlo, which is a data observability platform. And we had Bindu Reddy, who's the CEO oh, yeah. of Abacus, an MLOps platform, all talk about how they're instrumenting uh, AI ethics and explainability into their platforms. And I encourage our audience to get to know 
those entrepreneurs as well as the companies that you mentioned, I feel like it's, it's our responsibility as, uh, as leaders. I, I totally agree to that. And that's why my first investment was focused on this problem only. Because I think it's it's very important space. However, like, you know, we as VCs tend to think of this, oh, you know, bias or like, you know, these guardrails, these are the last thing like, you know, people think about when they're trying to like, you know, uh, train their models. But that's not true. It should become part of the process. It should like you should think about, you know, responsible AI in every step of like, you know, developing your models, right? From data collection to labeling and annotation to like, you know, training your model to deployment of models you need to think about like uh, you know responsible ai in each of these steps and not just focused on uh, you know at the end of you know your model training cycle as entrepreneurs we often get conflicting advice about how and when to engage corporate vcs and you're representing samsung samsung next the corporate venture arm of the behemoth conglomerate samsung what's your advice to entrepreneurs who may be told when you engage a corporate VC, there's some signaling risk about, you know, there might be some exit bias. There may be, a, you might artificially exclude your ability to work with their competitors, things like that. Take the other side of that argument. What's the right time and the right way to engage a corporate VC? I think every corporate VC is very different from each other. Uh, I I can talk about Samsung Next uh, process, which is very streamlined and kind of like very suitable for founders at any of the like, you know, stages of their company. Um, we are like early stage usually, but we have invested uh, in Series A, Series B and Series C as well. So I think like it's timing wise, you can reach out to us anytime like even if you are at series c stage or you are at a pre-seed and at, at a stage where you're just inception like you're at an inception of your idea kind of like stage uh, you can reach out to us even then and uh, we we tend to follow the rounds we do not lead the rounds that's why it does not create like a signaling uh you know signal signaling risk for others like you know for other founders to include us and in. we can work with any of the other vcs we don't want to take like the entire round and our due diligence process is very quick and short like we get back to our founders within like you know a day or like in maximum in two weeks so it's a very quick process we uh, tend to make very quick decisions as well we know the problem spaces we are focused on very well so that helps us like make these decisions very quickly and plus like our check sizes are somewhat smaller so check sizes are under a million dollars uh ranging anywhere from like 250k to 500k and uh that's why like uh we can work with any of the VCs. We can refer you if you don't have a lead investor, we can refer you to some of the lead investors we work with. So we can help you like raise funds if we are interested and we can uh, definitely refer you. So there's no right time to engage with us. You can just reach out even if you need some like, you know, some critical opinion or if you're thinking about like, you know, doing something in the startup world and you have your doubts, you would like me to help you out. It's totally okay to reach out via LinkedIn. I, I listen to the founders all the time i have uh, i have been engaging with founders from like you know asia you know europe um, latin countries as well I, I have been like pretty active uh, in terms of um, building the community of founders which is the main goal of samsung next that we want to in the end it's not about money making for us we write small ticket sizes it's about like what we can do for the founders 
and that's why like the main like value add for samsung next is not just the small ticket size that we bring in but uh, how we enable our founders so we have a platform team that offers free of cost services for a port course so like like you know services like hr sales business development marketing strategy all these services are free of cost for a port course so the platform team is always on the lookout for the right opportunity for the founders within samsung uh, it could be among our port course or even like our partnering companies as well so eventually the end goal is that make our startup successful take like you know uh, some of the pain points that founders are facing help them out as much as we can through our network uh, through our platform teams and resources and if you think you have a great idea just message me on linkedin i'm i'm very very active there there you have it tina's inbox is open <laughs> hey i uh, i, I got to get you the half off the hot seat but uh, you got to answer one last question for me sure so you see a steady stream of uh of innovation in the form of uh, entrepreneur pitches, polish your crystal ball. In five years, what is something that we'll do with technology? It will just be ubiquitous, but that today might seem like science fiction. Oh, so yeah. So actually I gave uh, uh, like, you know, a session at AI4 in Vegas um, two weeks ago, and that was very interesting to me. I, I kind of like, you know, went for, uh, some racing laps um, in Vegas and I drove like a Ferrari there and it was an amazing experience when I was a child I wanted to do this with my brother and I I could never think of like you know doing it with him like when he's in India and I'm in US it's not possible for us and just think about that if only if there was an experience of which you can just take some photos and pictures and you can put it together somehow through a technology that would enable you to create a gaming experience or a VR AR experience that you can share with your loved ones and you can create like games out of it wouldn't that be amazing so I want to see a technology like that in five years and I'm hoping to see it and I, I there's already a lot of like great research work that's going on um, in, in 3D rendering in synthetic data generation like, for example, um, Google, uh, you know, basically like there was one uh, recent model which would like, you know, let you generate a 30 second video just by using your 2D image. Right. So th there is a lot of work that is going in AI in the space uh, at the same time. So uh, think about it, like let that settle in, that you go somewhere, you have an experience, you capture some photos and then you create an entire VR experience and gaming experience out of that small trip of yours so i i see that happening in five years and it seems like a science fiction right now that hey like you know i just took a picture how can i create an entire ar or gaming experience through that but yeah even from pictures it, it's possible you know you can do 3d rendering you can create you know videos of people and videos of like you know uh, their spaces and create those 3d and ar experiences I don't I'm want to focused. just ride a Ferrari in VR. I want to take a SpaceX rocket to the moon in VR. If I can't do the real thing, which maybe in five years, it'll be easy. At least I want to, uh, I'd love to go to the moon in a rocket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even that would be possible. <laughs> I love it. Hina, this has been so much fun. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you so much, Dan. It, it was an amazing, uh, you know, experience talking to you. And uh, thanks for being so kind. And thanks for this opportunity. Absolutely. And maybe when that uh, 
that vision that you have for AR and VR come to fruition. We'll have you back. And uh, what, we, what we're talking about today is being in the future. Maybe it'll be in the present then. Would that be okay? <laughs> yeah, maybe we can do it in metaverse. <laughs> All the better. Good stuff. Well, that's Hina from Samsung Next Ventures. And a great conversation. That's a wrap for this week on AI and the future of work. I'm your host, Dan Turchin. We're back next week with another fascinating guest.